kick, punch, it's all in your mind. You guys remember Parappa the Rapper? I don't know why I thought of that. Anyway, welcome to the preamble. Want to remind you guys, we've got another round of Democratic debates going on. So, of course, we are doing those recaps and... You will be able to watch them live for as little as $2 in our very secret, very private Facebook pride group. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. And of course, if you want to spend a little more than that, you can get access to all of our fantastic content. Do Nothing Man, Conspiracy Corners, Degenerate Gamblers, football's coming up. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. What's parappa rapping, my Liberty Lemon? So sweet and yet so sour all the time. This is Brian McWilliams, and this is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 135 meaning you can go and find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL135. Guys, I got to tell you, uh, it's been a few days, few few shows since I was really goddamn exhausted, but I am right there. And uh, of course, I have to do this show, and then I'll be recording another debate recap show tomorrow night on uh, Wednesday. Of course, I don't record these live at 2 a.m. for you people. Do them a day in advance. So, had to record this Tuesday night and then uh, record tomorrow with Jen the Libertarian and, of course, my boy Howie Snowden going to recap the second night of Democratic debates. And you guys can listen to those. We're going to release them both in a back to back double header format. We're going to have Mark and uh, let's see, it's Mark, JB, and I believe Carr from the Fag Cast is going to be on our first recap. So, that'll come out. Uh, real early in the morning, Thursday, and then you will get my sweet dulcet tones in your ears a little later in the day. So, double header. Don't listen to anything else before that. Save yourself like a virgin. We want to be able to pop that cherry. All right. So, anyway, yeah. Long story short, though, I'm just gonna uh, I'm just gonna go this episode. You know, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go get a little, little uh, just uh, not even a, a train of thought, more like a virulent strain of thought. I'm going to see what all these little brain aneurysms I have. All us see if I can all come together at once to make some sort of thought rather than just killing me. Because I have been uh, just, God damn, we had a wedding this past weekend. And that wasn't really the issue, though. The issue is, of course, coming back and having just an unbelievable amount of work get dropped on me as we just, uh, in my professional life, just took on a new client and just had a bunch of other stuff come up real quick, in addition to all the stuff I have to do for the podcast, which is a lot this week with my show, with bonus content, and with the uh, the debate recaps. So basically, the issue is I did not sleep at all last night, just tossing and turning and sweating and could not fucking get to sleep. So I am just beyond exhausted. So let's crack this thing out. Uh, you know, first thing I want to talk about on the show today is President Trump fighting with Elijah Cummings. Now, Elijah Cummings has been a longtime representative out of uh, the 7th District, which covers a lot of Baltimore. And if you've never been to Baltimore, it's got some nice parts. It's got a lot of not nice parts. You know, if you get out of the, uh, I think they call it the Inner Harbor, which is where I was at for a wedding, uh, you get out of that and you're in some trouble, man. <laughs> I mean, I've also almost been arrested in Baltimore to uh, like undercover cops slammed me and a buddy up against a wall, then let us go later on. So, you know, thank God for that. But uh, man, yeah, that that city is pretty damn run down. And basically how this all came about was Cummings was ripping into a uh, the head of, I think, Homeland Security for Donald Trump. Uh, and I'm blanking on his name and I'm not going to look it up, but he was basically ripping into him saying that, you know, these, these abominable conditions at the detention facilities at the border had to be stopped and how it was just, uh, you know, inhumane, uh, these conditions. And from the latest I've read, it's getting to the point where hard to argue it's not. I mean, you know, I, a few months ago I was saying, oh, you know, it's not so bad because I was reading up on some of the different programs they have for children, the cost per day, which is astronomical, but I think things have gotten a lot worse since then uh, to the point now where, you know, you had an American citizen detained for 
for, I think like four weeks or something like that, uh, because he got lumped in with a bunch of the immigrants. You've got people. And again, I, it's hard to know what's true and not true because you've got people that are saying they're, you know, they're unwashed masses that are just crammed together with nowhere to sleep and nowhere to, you know, they're just standing body to body and they're unable to go home and they're unable to get in here and they don't have enough water and they don't have showers. I, you know, if that is true, hideous, you know, it's atrocious. But at the same time, then you have this group of pastors that went to a detention facility, the exact same one AOC went to, and they're like, eh, well, it's not so bad. You know, they're Hispanic pastors. So I just don't know what to believe, which is very frustrating. And, uh, you know, honestly, if we had a an honest news media, maybe we could get this whole thing cleared up, but we do not. Anyway, so Cummings is yelling at Trump's guy in this hearing, and Donald Trump takes umbrage at that and goes back at Cummings, of course, via tweet, and says that Cummings district is far worse and more dangerous than the detention facilities. Quote, a disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. He focused, he suggests that Cummings focuses more on cleaning up his, quote, dangerous and filthy place than on bullying and hearings about the border issue. Now, of course, this is immediately saying, uh, or immediately is claimed by everybody on the left and the media to be racist remarks. Naturally, they, you know, anything on the left, they're they're instantly calling Trump's remarks racist. It's not even a debate anymore. It's not like they're they're putting it in the alleged racist remarks. You know, they're just like, these are racist, straight off the bat. However, when you look at the truth of the matter, nothing about this is racist. Saying that a place is dirty and filthy doesn't make it racist. Just like when Trump called these nations shitholes that a lot of these people were coming in from that he thought weren't really worthy of, of coming into America. Calling them shitholes is not a racist phrase if they are, in fact, shitholes. They're places nobody would want to move to. They're places that are have either been destroyed by their own governments, in the case of a lot of socialist countries, a lot of Latin American countries, or they, you know, a lot of this is America being complicit as well, or they've been destroyed by war and, uh, and famine as a result of that. I mean, when you look at the influence the USA has had on a lot of Latin American countries— Hard to argue that we're not really a prime cause for what we're seeing today. We're seeing all these people come in, claim refugee status, saying they want asylum because they're in these war-torn countries that have become shitholes. Because why? Oh, well, we're going down to stabilizing them. You know, same thing in the Middle East. All these refugees that were flying over from Syria, from Libya, from Yemen. What do you think they're going to do? Is there any argument to why they're coming here? Can there even be a debate about why they're coming here? They're terrified. They're running for their lives. Now, some of them, well, some of them are probably rape terrorists. <laughs> We're seeing that another incontrovertible fact that people will say is racist, but you look at what is happening with the violence. You look at places like Sweden and what is going on there. You look at Australia and what is going on there with the people that have come over. You cannot argue that some of these people are not ideal and to bring them over in mass like this is not the way to do it. But again, What's the root cause? Well, destabilizing the region, blowing up their homes, causing civil wars in Libya, uh, in Libya, establishing a brand new slave market after we made sure that the uh, that the reigning dictator, who was, by the way, a secular leader and made sure to shave his beard every single damn day to make sure people did not confuse him with the Muslim. But no, we got to take him out. Can't have uh, can't have him in there. And now there's a, a thriving slave market. Meanwhile, let's talk about reparations at home, right? <laughs> As we create slave markets abroad from our actions. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So calling Baltimore a shithole, calling it a dirty rat infested mess is actually quite accurate. And I was laughing today because there was a Fox, you know, I think like a local Fox story, or maybe it was even a national story from some media outlet. And the, the reporters doing a story about Baltimore and about these remarks on it being a dirty rat infested mess and a rat runs through behind the anchor as they are doing the report. I mean, you can't write it better. It's like watching a cartoon show. It was like right on cue. The prop guy released the rat, beautiful fashion. But you look at just the basic statistics of Baltimore. Has a vastly higher homeless rate than uh, than any, any than virtually any other city. Uh, they've got, and also I was reading at a, a local nonprofit organization that deals with Baltimore homeless and under their, you know, learn the facts. They said that even Baltimore's reporting of homeless, which again is something like 
23%, I think, homeless rate. And, uh, and as compared to other, you know, other parts of the country, I'm sorry, that was poverty rate. The poverty rate is 23.9%. They said these, you know, these, these homeless roles of people, um, are higher than Maryland's average and then almost anywhere else. And also that they had underreported homeless. They said that some of the reporting in Baltimore is, you know, like the, uh, the housing and urban, urban development people that go door to door. They said the way in which they take these surveys are done in some of the most lax manners of any place that that you'll ever see in a state or a city. And essentially they only go to certain places during certain times of the day. And thus they completely undercount the amount of homeless there. They regularly have vastly more uh, homeless than can possibly fit in any of the services or any of the beds. And if you look at just the, the state of the housing in Baltimore, you have just vast parts of the city that are boarded up, that are crumbling down. The infrastructure is falling apart. You've got, like I said, you've got 23, 24% poverty rate. So all of these things are occurring under a democratic leadership and what has long been a democratic leadership. And that, of course, makes you think, okay, well, let's take a step back here. Not to say that only Democrats ruin cities and ruin states, but if you look at some of the most prominent Democratic-run cities, they are by and large, completely run down shitholes. We're talking Detroit. We're talking uh, Los Angeles, which, you know, and, and San Francisco for that matter. And you and don't conflate housing prices in some of these places with how the cities are actually run and how they're actually in, in so far as day-to-day life. Because California and Los Angeles and San Francisco, in Los Angeles, we have a homeless problem like you would not believe. And it has gotten exponentially worse every year. Same thing has happened in San Francisco. Uh, why does this happen? Well, as I discussed in the show a little bit before, it's a conf- it's it's a it's a whole basically it's it's kind of like imagine <laughs> imagine just, you know, it's a house on fire. And when people panic when the house is on fire, they they try to throw water on it, but instead, ah shit, you know, you didn't realize that it was a grease fire. And you can't just put it out with a blanket coating of water, right? And whatever you do, even if you keep adding more and more water to it, all you're going to do is keep spreading the grease around and make that fire worse. That is essentially what is happening in California and is happening in virtually every one of these democratic cities and why you see them all spiraling downward and seeing people getting poorer, seeing people becoming more homeless, seeing the status of uh, the economy going down, see the status of homes and homelessness, uh, homelessness going up and home ownership go down. In California, you're seeing that, you know, even though we've got higher housing values, you know, San Francisco is still one of the best places you can ever buy real estate because people are bringing in, uh, essentially these, these tech overlords are bringing in high paid workers they're getting sweetheart deals from the cities. So they're able to do that. The same things happened in Los Angeles. I mean, I can give you an example of Snapchat, who was getting a, just an unbelievable uh, tax deal from the city to bring in these people, which enabled them to rent uh, apartments and rent things for vastly under market. They'd renovate apartments, which then made the housing issue even more difficult to overcome. And at the same time, you're driving up houses because all these people are making money. They're then going out, buying apartments, driving up the rates. And you have the impossibility to build new housing because of NIMBYs, not in my backyard, which is prominent here and in San Francisco. You also have strangling regulations, which prohibit what you can build, how high you can build, uh, how quickly you can build, and environmental regulations, which prohibit, again, how quickly, where, why. It ramps the cost of building up. And then you have, on top of all of that, you have regulations in place that stifle people wanting to build new new uh, creations and new apartment complexes because of all the rent controls they try to put into place, which disincentivize people from renting to the lower class, uh, which disincentivize people from upkeeping or making existing buildings any better. And you just have people kind of squatting. So all these things continue to happen. And meanwhile, they continue to take this approach of let's throw more water on it in the, in the uh, way of more money. Again, LA and San Francisco and the majority of all of these democratic places throw more money at the problem, does not accomplish anything, simply goes down a tube and is either abused and misused, wherein certain funding is supposed to be used towards a, uh, a homeless program, ends up being funneled towards something which nobody can really prove what it does. And I'm blanking right now on the democratic mayor's wife 
that ran. Oh, it was in New York City, I think. God, I can't remember. But a Democratic mayor or Democratic uh, lawmaker's wife was running a program which got something like $800,000 or you know, some, some large sum of money to put towards these programs, and they couldn't figure out where any of it went. <laughs> no accounting on the books, maybe even more money than that, but zero accounting, zero accountability, no trackable uh, impact. They couldn't point to one thing they'd done which improved life for anybody, and yet the funding just keeps rolling on. They want to put more money to, towards it. They want to fine companies in the area. This is the other idea too, that they say, they go, well, you know, big businesses are driving up the cost. Never mind that businesses are giving people jobs, right? And driving the local economy. Because if in, it, if in the dearth of big business, like let's say in Seattle, right? Or San Francisco, where they're tra- talking about putting on these taxes on Amazon or taxes on big business, wherein over a certain point, you have to pay extra revenue per employee that they, you know, for whatever hours they work. If you drive away that business, you are just going to have a complete and total economic collapse because then you have people working in the city that are already poor, homeless, unemployed. You've got a housing market, which is going to collapse it on itself because now you've got apartments that no one is going to pay for at the current prices. And you're going to have people upside down because the cost of building them was so astronomical because of the regulations and every other hoop they had to jump through that you're just going to have empty buildings. It's going to be like fucking a city in China. Again, guys, this is going to be a rambling episode. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, so they think, okay, we'll tax it and then we'll throw more money at the problem. You know, in San Francisco, they're, God, they, they, they're spending something like, I think it was like $300 million on homeless issues. $300 million. Think about that. And what impact did it make? I can tell you, zero. Zero impact. The homeless rates continued to go up. It had absolutely no measurable effect on the well-being of the homeless population in the city. And instead of saying, okay, you know, this isn't working. Should we address it maybe by looking at different treatment options? Should we look at giving people a different way to to try to avoid becoming homeless in the first place? Should we look at maybe deregulating the housing industry so that more housing becomes available for these people? Should we look at giving people more options to keep the money that they have so that they have more opportunity moving forward? No, of course not. They instead deregulate and make legal taking shits on the street and doing drugs in the street and just throw more money at it by taxing the people in the city who do have money. And the same thing is happening in LA and the same thing's happening in Seattle and the same thing's happening in all these different different places. Colorado, there's another prime example. So, you know, Michael Bolden, uh, my buddy over at the 10th Amendment Center, you know, and talking about Actually, he was responding to a Trump tweet, and this is this was absolutely fantastic because I was thinking the same thing. Donald Trump is pushing back against this Elijah Cummings, right? And he's saying, "Well, you know, Baltimore's a shithole. Why don't you focus on that?" Why? And he says, "This this is a great quote from President Trump on Baltimore. Quote: The government has pumped in over the years billions and billions of dollars to no avail, to absolutely no avail. Baltimore is an example of what corrupt government leads to." And Michael Bolden tweets at Trump. Just like the Pentagon? Exactly. Ah, beautiful. Exactly fucking right. Because I look at what's happened to these cities. I look at the atrocious state of Detroit. I said, any, virtually any Democratic-run city that's been blue for a long time. They are all completely bankrupt. They're all having skyrocketing poverty rates. They're all having skyrocketing homeless rates. The economy's breaking down. People can't get the basic services that they want. Yet, Everybody's complaining about it. And everybody's solution seems to be, well, we need bigger government. We need more spending. We need more nanny government to take over these things. They're the only ones that can solve the problem. And I'm thinking, just as Bolden's pointing out here, this is this is something that on a micro level, Republicans and Democrats will go back and forth. And us libertarians, of course, sit in the middle, giving them both the finger. But they'll go back and forth. They'll say, well, if only we got a, a Democrat out of there, we could turn the city around. Maybe. Maybe you could on a micro level like that. But then we have the same issue on a federal governmental level where America is becoming just like Baltimore or just like Detroit or just like San Francisco and LA. You're taking what was once successful, right? All these cities were at one point incredibly successful. For the, primarily for the same reasons. You know, they're on the water. You've got commerce coming in and out. You've got free trade where trade happens, you have opportunity, where other businesses support that. You've got services, you've got factories, you've got uh, you know 
fishmongers, you've got whores, everything else springs up around this. Hotels, obviously, to support the businessmen that are coming and going, and housing, because people obviously need to, to live there in order to work and supply all of this trade that's going on. And then you've got uh, people that are entrepreneurs that are looking to say, okay, well, what's the next step? How can I service these people in a different way, in a, in a better way? You've got innovation. So America is the same thing. You've got this nation that was created based upon free market and free trade, based upon free ideals, based upon, okay, we're prime. America was, again, much like these cities, in a prime hub wherein, okay, now we've got this area in the middle where we can trade with a lot of different countries. We're well positioned to go out in the world and make these, make these goods and services available to you. But in exchange for that, you know, to keep this thing going, to make it grow as it did, well, the government stayed out of the goddamn fucking way. And now what we're seeing, actually, you know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. The government stayed out of the way and people took it upon themselves to better their conditions, right? To better their environment. And you see this on a micro, micro level, by the way, in certain cities and certain neighborhoods where people will go ahead and fix things on their own. You know, if you've got a small town that doesn't have federal government coming in and doesn't have union workers insisting that no work gets fucking done unless there's a guy there holding a slow sign uh, and turning it every three seconds for 17 hours a day, making 27 hours, dollars an hour, people will just go and, and fix a road themselves. They'll go out, they'll get gravel, they'll put it down, they'll smooth it over. There you go. The road's fixed. Or they'll create a new road or they'll, they'll all chip in and, you know, they'll, they'll take care of whatever issues have to be taken care of. They'll chip in to have somebody come in and build a bridge for them. Whatever needs to be done, they'll find a way to get it done. But they don't simply sit back and watch the state of affairs, watch everything around them slowly degrade, slowly fall apart and figure, well, government's got to take care of that. That's not my issue. Or say, well, somebody's got to pay for that. We need, get, we need to raise taxes on everybody else so that the government can take care of that right there. But the problem is, and what these people don't know, and just like, you know, again, just like at the federal level, they say, let's raise the taxes so that that can be taken care of. But the problem is not the taxes. The problem is that the government is inept at taking care of these problems and is inept at the basic rudiments of what it's supposed to cover. And why is it so inept? Well, because government wants to grow indefinitely. That's one big issue because people that work for the government, by and large, are not the most active, most not the most innovative, not the entrepreneurs. They're happy to go along to get along. And that the government continues to want to look to different avenues to gain power. So while the government should be taking care of the potholes in the street, instead, you've got places like Los Angeles diverting money or California writ large, instead of fixing the roads in California which they're supposed to be doing because the roads in California are fucking atrocious. Instead of that, they're spending $98 million on medical insurance for uh, illegal immigrants, right? Because they want to expand their power. They want to expand their voter base. They want to make sure that they don't lose that grasp on what they control. We see that at home. We see that abroad. We see it in the national debt right now. We see it in the budget that was just passed through the House that's adding $1.7 trillion in debt and encompasses all of these different programs to take care of the people at home, to spend more money than ever has been spent on poverty, and on all these different social welfare programs. And yet, just like in Baltimore, just like in all these other democratically run cities, and yet we still have Republican leadership. Don't forget that right now in fucking government <laughs> and the federal government. These programs continue to pass because government has no interest in actually cutting their ownership of any sort of power. So we see this new budget pass. We see bipartisan support for it, even though it is against everything the GOP says they're for, against all of that, even though it's spending some, I don't even know how much more money just got added to the Pentagon's budget, but an atrocious amount of money going towards the war machine that Democrats say they oppose. You've got bipartisan support because everybody gets a big old fucking piece of the power pie. The Democrats get to continue to control and own 
the poorer people in the country, the minority people in the country. They get to keep them indebted in this welfare slavery cycle that they've invented. They get to keep telling people that they're the party of good that's working for the lower class, that's keeping people in jobs, which is, of course, as we know, fucking counterintuitive because the more you try to control wages, the more you try to stifle freedom of trade, freedom of association, the less likely you are to have a thriving economy. They get to keep the control over that portion of America. They get to point to those programs and say, ah, we did it, guys. Aren't we fucking great? Meanwhile, poverty rate stays the exact same or gets worse, which is what's happened. But now those people are indebted. And on the GOP side, well, they get to keep power over the military industrial complex. They get to keep power over all of the war machine. They get to keep power over all the rest of the world that's not even domestic here. I mean, does anybody think that this is, you know, it has a lot to do with money and influence at home and cronyism, our corrupt government. As Trump pointed out in Baltimore, I'm not saying Elijah Cummings isn't corrupt. I'm sure that motherfucker is very corrupt. But to say that our federal government isn't corrupt? My God. My God. So they get to keep the corruption control over the war machine. They get to keep all of these illegal wars ongoing. The Pentagon gets to keep wasting money and hiding it in various nooks and crannies and fucking wherever the uh, the old man from Pepperidge Farm is hiding, put it up his ass. I don't even know what else the Republicans are, are spending money on other than war, right? <laughs> is that, I was I'm reading some article that said that, you know, this is quoting a senator, but he said that 70% of the budget right now is discretionary spending, or I'm sorry, not discretionary spending. 70% of the budget is all based upon the existing items that have to be funded. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, you know, all these other welfare programs. So they're just like locked in. You can't even do anything about it. They're just there. And then the discretionary spending is something like the other 30%. So we've achieved a point now because of these government scam programs, the same kind of scam programs that are promised in all of these democratic cities, by the way. Because one of the one of the overriding themes too within a lot of these democratically controlled cities is that they are being bankrupted by union workers within them. All of the debt that's accrued, well, and I can't say all of it. Ninety percent of the debt that's accrued is purely going to pay off horrible deals that these state leaders and city leaders have made with their union groups for pensions. I know the LAUSD. You know, those teachers went on strike. I was talking a little bit about that on the show. Those motherfuckers, they just got another new deal. They got a raise. They got, uh, you know, conditions put against the charter schools. <laughs> Can't have competition. But they just got promised more money, despite the fact that the government has a surplus, or actually the education department has a surplus as of right now. But as of, I think, 2020, that is projected to be something like a $400 million deficit. Like, it's just insane amount of money because the next wave of teachers are retiring. All these pensions are coming due. All these unfunded liabilities are coming to bear. This is what's happening. And the government has promised all of America this ridiculous program, which cannot be funded, already is virtually bankrupt. And... As we you know, said earlier in the show, we're to the point now where the deficit is to the point where we can't even possibly pay it down. So where else do we go other than becoming a Baltimore ourselves as a, as a nation? I mean, is there anything else? Is there any option to not have a financial collapse? Is there any option to not simply go down the road of ruin at this point? I mean, one way to do that would be to cancel all the wars. Hopefully Tulsi Gabbard can win some hearts and win some minds over discussing that. But considering the massive bipartisan support for the spending bill, I don't see that happening. The fact that they took the caps off spending bill, you know, they had the debt ceiling. Remember that kind, kind and knowledgeable concept that somebody introduced? You know, we should really have a limit on debt, guys, because otherwise we're going to get in this no man's land, this point of no return. Well, that's gone now, too. You'd think Somebody on the GOP would have objected to that. But no, they just go along to get along. Keep expanding the size of government. Keep making sure everybody knows the nanny state's there for them. I mean, we're going to see tonight's debate and tomorrow. You're going to see people promising the moon and fucking back to people. Free education. Well, for, well, the government will buy up and forgive all your college debt. 
The government will pay for you to go to medical school. The government will pay for you to, I don't even know what else, will pay for all of your better care bills. It will pay for all of your health care universally. And then just like we see with all the services provided in these different cities, all the terrible government services, everything is going to be degraded as far as the value of the degree when it comes to education. You're going to see the standards of education drop precipitously, which you're already seeing. It's already been going on for the past 30 years. I was just reading several different articles on it where they've done studies into this. What used to be a C is now an A because people just want to push through the system. They want to make sure that the money keeps coming in. They want to make sure the debt keeps racking up for these people to keep expanding this education system, this cronious education system, by the way. Because if you haven't noticed, every single time the government says, oh, we're going to help out with this education, well, tuitions seem to shoot up 30%. Oh, wow. I guess that's what happens. You fuck with the free market. Here, have some free money. So you're going to have a dropping in the standard of education. You're going to have teachers probably decide that they don't really want to teach much anymore. I I don't know. Maybe you're going to have an influx of really shitty teachers to take over for the good teachers that are leaving because you're now going to have such an influx of students that should not be going to college, that don't deserve to be in college, and they're just going to clog the gears for the good students that you're going to have the good students actually come out dumber. I mean, seriously, just think about if we're talking about med school. Let's say the government's paying for all this stuff all the way from, you know, soup to nuts. You go to med school. Half the people in there have gotten into med school that are completely inept and shouldn't be there in the first place. They've been pushed through the system. Now they're, now they're accepted the med school because, hey, these, these schools might as well take more people, right? The government's paying for it. But are they going to get paid the same salaries? Well, the teachers coming in going to get paid what they would expect as a professor's salary? Or is the government going to do what they're doing for doctors and hospitals and cutting their pay? So we're going to have these doctors graduate med school. They're less talented than the people that came before them. They're not going to make as much money as the people that came before them. So they're not going to be quite as invested in being uh, the best that they can be. They're going to be burned out because once they get into the hospital system, you've got so many millions of more people that are now going to the hospital for every goddamn thing because there's no more private insurance. People like Elizabeth Warren get their way. Or Kamala Harris, I don't even know her ridiculous program. We're going to keep some private insurance for, <laughs> she wants to keep, she's like, you know, everybody's going to get healthcare, but you can have private insurance for cosmetic things, which of course, insurance doesn't fucking cover cosmetic things anyway. She wants it both ways. She, of course, she's got to project it 10 years out so that the CBO can't even project what it would actually cost. But then you're going to have people, that you're going to have less talented doctors making less money that are now forced to deal with millions of more people. How are we not going to have a crisis as far as healthcare? How are we not going to have too few doctors, too few hospitals for far too many people with a declining uh, emphasis on getting few people in there because there's just, there's no market for them. You know, it's like the same thing that's already been happening with general practitioners in the medical industry. People go into specialized areas now because there's no money in being a general practitioner because of Medicaid and Medicare. Because there's not enough money to be made. Now, of course, if you got the government completely out of healthcare, then you probably have tons of doctors charging people reasonable prices. They don't have to worry about overheads. They don't have to worry about government forcing them to take clients out of hand. They don't have to worry about cronious insurance companies getting involved as a middleman. Ah, again, you can listen to Eric Larson talk about this on the uh, podcast he did with Mark. God, is this rambling enough yet? I'm trying to keep a, a fucking coherent thought, guys, but it is tough when you're this tired. Anyway, long story short, we are going to become one big Baltimore as a country. And so this has all been an exercise in hypocrisy for Trump calling out Cummings on having a corrupt government and mismanaging a city when all we're doing is watching America fucking crumble down. And honestly... I am, I am really worried. Like I, I, you know, having this daughter on the way, I am seriously concerned about the state of America. I am terrified of what's to come in the next 20 years. I am terrified it's going to become a socialist nation that's going to collapse in on itself as soon as all this debt comes due. I, it's, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And I don't see any way to turn it around <laughs> other than, uh, I don't know, to keep fighting the good fight from, from the seat. Got to get more sleep to do that, though. All right. Well, anyway, oh, I'll take a quick break. I'll be right back with some other topics and uh, we'll go from there. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. 
Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. You know, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, you know, I like took a break, got up, went over, fed my dogs after I recorded that first bit. I literally just like, I'm so brain dead. I open the, open the fridge door. I take out the, the dog food because my dog's got allergies to, I guess, every single motherfucking preservative that exists in all dog foods. So we have to make his food for him, which is unbelievably annoying. But I take it out of the fridge put it on the counter behind me, turn back to the fridge and then start looking for the dog food. I swear to God, this just happened. <laughs> Sitting there staring in the fridge for a minute before I realized that I had literally just taken it out and put it on the counter behind me. <sighs> okay. Anyway, getting back into it. Uh, Mueller, the Mueller hearings happened. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I know that I am well into coverage, but I'll give you just some quick thoughts. I was actually listening to uh, to Jason Stapleton, uh, my pal Jason, over at Wealth, Power, and Influence, as he has uh, dubbed his show now. But he was talking about the Mueller hearings, and you know, just I I did not watch them. Uh, I was just too busy doing other shit. I watched some of the highlights of them, and I read a lot of reports about it. But I agree with Jason's breakdown of Mueller in that. You know, he's saying that every time Mueller's answering questions from Democrats, he seemed to be a little bit more willing to talk about things. But he also said that he just, you know, half the time he comes across as this doddering old fool, you know, a guy that had no idea what was going on and just seemed completely incompetent and had no idea what was going on with his own investigation. And, you know, Jason had floated this theory out and I agree. I was thinking the exact same thing in that this guy is like, he's been a spook his whole life. He's been a government spy overseeing and working with all these governmental agencies. So this is all just an act, you know? I mean, there's no way, there's no way unless he is literally just a pure cog in the machine from the people that are looking to essentially stage a coup against Trump. And mind you, this could be the case. He could just simply be an old man that they figured they could con into running it and they used his name value and they, I mean, he did put in what, like 17 democratic uh, donation operatives, you know, people that had basically supported Hillary Clinton and supported Democrats for their entire professional and personal careers, um, given money to their campaigns, et cetera. The Peter Strzok or Strzok of the world, as he was actually on this investigation, the special counsel. But, Maybe he was that guy. Maybe they brought him in and he was just a figurehead so that they could get the worst of the worst Democratic operatives from within the deep state to work on this project to try to take Trump down. I don't think that's the case. I think Mueller was pretty much complicit. I think he knew everything that was going on. You know, at one point, he said he didn't know what Fusion GPS was. He wasn't familiar with Fusion GPS, that which, of course, is the core or one of the cores for this whole fucking investigation and collusion narrative in the first place. They'll say it was all based on Papadopoulos, but all of this was tied into it. We saw the reports about the the Fusion GPS report and the Steele dossier going back and forth, being used to get FISA warrants by the FBI, not acknowledging the sources and blanking them out, and then using reports that were leaked to the media from the Fusion GPS report as a reason to use the Fusion GPS. Just give me a, give me a break. To say that you're not familiar with that is just a pure lie. And I do think that he went out there and he just put on an act. He put on an, I'm just an old man act. I don't know. Because really at this point, what does he have to gain? The guy's 77. He's already spent his 23, $28 million, whatever the fuck it was on this stupid special report. He's already gotten his money. 
He doesn't need to go out there and work again. He probably knew this. He knows whatever. I'm sure he knew from the first minute that there was nothing there in this. But he said, eh, this is a way to pad my pockets. I'm just going to keep this on going. I don't like Trump. I'm pissed off that he lost. I'm complicit in this deep state coup that's ongoing. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to keep letting this thing go. Even though, as I said, I'm sure from minute one, he knew that there wasn't anything to this collusion conspiracy bullshit. But for his political allies, it made sense to keep it going as long as possible until the point where it became ridiculous and he had to wrap it up. But of course, they also gave him the mandate of, oh, well, don't worry. After you're done with this nonsense investigation into collusion, well, then start a whole other investigation into obstruction. Even though the White House was complicit in the entire investigation, and Mueller even says that, or Mueller even said that in his report, just, you know, that was motives to give him some red meat to chew on. Start this whole impeachment talk. But in the meantime, this last hearing, I know it was a big letdown for the Democrats, although they're still pushing for impeachment. I'll get to that in a second. I know it was a big letdown, but if you're that guy, why? Why would you do anything that's going to make you come back for another hearing? You got to do one thing when you go out there. That seems so incompetent that they don't want you back. While not really giving the GOP anything new to work off of, which is what he did. He didn't give them any exoneration. Although there was a beautiful moment when John Ratcliffe out of Texas, Representative Ratcliffe, uh, he tore into Mueller and absolutely nailed it. And he called him out on the fact that he goes, you know, and I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but he said, there's nowhere in the special counsel's job does it say that you're supposed to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or that the report should determine whether or not he's exonerated? And yet, of course, Mueller puts in this, this nonsense line at the end of the report just for the Democrats, just for his political cronies to give them something to go off of, saying that while we, uh, we didn't find that he was guilty, we did not find that he was innocent. Again, it's not your fucking job. And he even said, he's like, where in the justice manual is this? Nowhere in there. No, no it's a no OLC opinion. It's not in the, the principles of federal prosecution. And he says, nowhere do they appear because it's not your job to say that. And he calls him out 100% accurately for putting it in there just, just to do political damage. He didn't follow special counsel regulations. And he said, nowhere else has this ever occurred. Nowhere in the history of American politics and, and special investigations has this ever occurred before, except right now with this fucking bullshit. So anyway, you know, overall, Mueller just, he was, uh, I said, just came across as doddering and incoherent, except when the Democrats needed him to kind of expand on something to give them, you know, there was no, he didn't come out and definitively say, yes, there was obstruction of justice, but he just kind of demurred on Democratic questions. He would answer yes or no questions that were very leading in order to make a kind of a, a nothing point from these Democrats because they like to try to tie in all these different people. Oh, weren't this guy, this guy get indicted and that guy got indicted and that guy? Yes, yes, yes. Nothing to do with collusion. Nothing to do with Donald Trump. None of them. So underwhelming. I thought pretty funny that it blew up in the Democrats' face. But yet, the interesting fallout of this is that Despite recent polls that I saw that said some 60% of Americans said that this whole Russian collusion narrative and investigation was based on just political bias and should have never happened. They don't believe that there's anything there. They believe that Trump was wrongly investigated. And, I, and this was before the Mueller hearing, by the way. So it's got to only have gotten worse since then as far as people's underall or overall concept of this entire debacle. But after all this, You've got the Democrats suing to get even more records, suing to open up uh, some other additional thing. They want to sue to get Mueller back out there again to testify. And now there's some, I think, oh, I'm trying to think, I think it's something like 67 Democrats have officially gotten on board the impeachment train. I, I don't get how these people don't understand that they're literally handing Trump a victory in 2020, handing it to him. As I said, Americans as a whole already believed that the man was wrongly accused of horseshit and that he was tried to be, they were trying to railroad him into this. And the Democrats have talked about this nonstop for years. And now you trot out this man who looks completely incompetent, that seemed to have no idea what his own report had in it. 
and you now double down on impeachment and you have even more people coming out and saying we should try to impeach Trump? The best thing that could happen for Donald Trump would be to get uh, some sort of impeachment proceedings put against him. It would 100% galvanize not only his base, but every single person that doubted this investigation to begin with because they'll say, what are you impeaching him for? Obstruction based upon nothing? And it's false that too. Should there be obstruction based upon this? No. People overwhelmingly don't agree that this is something that should even exist. And yet you have these fucking Democrats. They will not dump it. It's like the zombie corpse, corpse of this thing continues to move forward. Distracting America. Maybe that's what it's for. To distract America from the things that actually fucking matter. All right. Anyway, that's all on Mueller. Uh, it's been talked about enough. Um, but moving on, I want to talk about, this is just unbelievable. So the European Union just voted to replace the outgoing president, Jean-Claude Juncker. Uh, he will be replaced with a new five-year term from a close ally to German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who, of course, has run Germany's uh, <laughs> power systems into the ground by insisting that they abandon carbon fuels and uh, has been notorious for a lot of just really socialist, horrible ideas. Uh, including importing massive amounts of refugees. But anyway, so this woman named Vanderlyn, yeah, Ursula von der Leyen has been narrowly confirmed as the next president of the European Commission, which is a uh, basically the, the leadership arm of the European Union. Now, she's coming in basically trying to overhaul every single thing about the European Union and push it as far left as possible and has already threatened that there will be massive top-down policy or policy powers which will be enforced by a substantial increase in taxes and penalties if member states do not apply. So let me just walk through a couple of these because this is exactly why Brexit exists and this is exactly what's going to cause more of these states to flee. And as you remember, on a recent show, I did call for more states to leave the European Union as things like this move forward. And... Uh, this woman's insane proposals are all going to make it worse. So she wants to propose a European Green Deal. Yes, you know how it worked, how well that has worked out. And this would include the first European climate law to enshrine a climate neutrality target by 2050. So this is a, a direct quote. Carbon emissions must have a price. Every person and every sector will have to contribute. She also has pledged to introduce a carbon border tax so that non-European companies... <laughs> will be will be taxed to ensure European companies can compete on a level playing field. Essentially, taking the German model of we're going to give up on carbon fuels and now we're going to pay three times more for every person, she wants to make that everybody else's problem in the world. Which, uh, you know, that just sounds fucking great. So good luck trying to make that happen, Germany and, uh, and European Union, because it seems to me that the best thing England could do is get out of this union right now before this whole nutty scheme goes into place, which is going to raise all of the expenses on all of their imports and exports to some sort of astronomical level. Uh, let's get even more crazy. How about these plans? She wants to propose a legal instrument to ensure a minimum wage for workers in all 28 European Union member states. Now, remember, that's a lot of land. And that's a lot of different ways of living and a different lot of costs of living. So just like we're seeing in the United States with these fucking retarded plans to pay $20 an hour to people like uh, Rashida Tlaib, I'm going to talk or Tlaib, whatever her name is. Talk about that in a minute. But just like we're seeing why that doesn't work here, doesn't make any sense and puts companies out of business. Well, she wants to do that for all the EU. Just real dynamite gal. She also wants to have a work-life balance directive to encourage better sharing of responsibilities between women of men, women and men. I don't even know what that would fucking mean. How about this one? A European gender strategy to ensure equal pay for equal work and binding pay transparency measures, i.e. every single company in the EU has to make sure that the European Union has insight into their books and what they're paying all their employees. Otherwise they come in and they tax you. So of course, who's going to be able to comply with that? Oh, 
the largest companies, the largest corporations, smaller companies, smaller businesses throughout the entire European Union are now going to be destroyed with regulation, with trying to equalize pay among people for the nonsense leftist goals of this new psychopath coming in. And of course, it wouldn't be a complete gender equality package without forcing people to have gender balance on company boards. Uh, Next up, how about we talk about taxes? One of the key foundations of our society or our social market economy is that everyone pays their fair share. There can be no exceptions. And of course, she's going to prioritize taxing big tech companies. She also wants to make sure that they tax everybody digitally throughout the EU. So that way, no country can get a different advantage over another one by, say, trying to get less taxes taken out from a digital standpoint. Goddamn competitive advantage. Goddamn being able to have some some say over what you want to do with your own nation state in regards to economic trade. Nope, not allowed under this woman in the European Union. And I like this too. So she says this, differences in tax rules could be an obstacle to the deeper integration of a single market. It can hamper growth, particularly in the euro area where economic ties are stronger. We need to be able to act. And she warns that Brussels will overrule member states opposed to her tax overhaul. Just think about that. So if your country does not want to adopt a taxation level, tough titties. This is what you're going to be doing. Everything coming into your, your, your country is going to be taxed at this rate. And if you don't like it, tough shit. You have to leave the entire European Union in order to uh, to get your way. Again, this is exactly why people left. Uh, other things, rule of law, migration, and international security topics. She wants to have a European rule of law mechanism to ensure the primacy of European Union law over national laws of member states. And there will be financial consequences that refuse to comply. So, again... Your laws in your country that your people might vote on do not matter. Only European Union laws matter. And if you don't like it, we're going to penalize your country. And naturally, she has a new pact on migration and asylum. So the Coast Guard Agency and the European Border Agency would take over border control responsibilities from all of the member states. You're not even allowed to guard your own borders anymore. The European Union will do that for you. All right. I've probably talked enough about this. She wants to create a European army. So you can see how that's going to go. I doubt it'll be voluntary. (laughs) A genuine European uh, defense union is what she wants. She wants to essentially turn the European Union into a massive state, kind of like the United States of America. That's what she wants, except with even more powerful controls over what states can and can't do. So good luck with that. I think all these states are going to start fleeing very quickly, especially under this complete fucking fanatic. And you're already seeing countries like Italy want nothing to do with it. Obviously, the UK wants nothing to do with it. Um, Forget the other one that wanted to get out. I think Turkey was one of them. So it'll be interesting to watch. That's for sure. Okay, let's wrap this up, guys. We're talking about the idiots of the week. So Rashida Tlaib whatever her name is. She wants a $20 minimum wage for tipped workers. For tipped workers. The entire concept of tipping is that you do not get paid the normal wage. And this is why, by the way, in California, which has fucking retarded rules in this too, but as of right now, it's like $7. People get tipped wages. And in California, especially in Los Angeles, San Francisco, I swear to God, a lot of waiters make more money than I do. A lot of bartenders are popular places, more money than I do. But to say a $20 nationwide minimum wage for tipped workers, okay, you have to do one of two things. You have to either completely abandon tipping or make it completely optional as in the Irish model, the European model where, look, if you want to throw a little extra on for a special service, great, but otherwise don't fucking expect it. Because the entire concept of tipping is that a person gets rewarded on their service. They get rewarded on turnover. They have the ability to make more money than the minimum wage an hour. And that's how this whole thing balances out by virtue of being good at their job by turnover of couples coming in and out, et cetera. If you're mandatory minimum waging it at $20, number one, you're going to put a lot of restaurants out of business. 
Because many places, and clearly this woman's never worked in a restaurant, has no concept of the service industry in regards to this. And maybe a lot of you out there don't either. But there's a specific reason these people don't get paid this much money. And that's because you have in the restaurant industry ups and downs as far as how many people come in and out of a restaurant. You cannot always budget for people paying them $20 an hour and having staff to have a a restaurant staffed up to the point where you can just dish this money out every hour on the hour and then have people tip them on top of that. Because if you go through a dead period during the day, you can't afford to have people staff. You either have to close down during that period, which means that there's no money to be made, or you hope that, okay, maybe people come in here and there. That way, you're only getting paid $5 an hour because if nobody comes in, then I don't lose $15 a fucking hour every hour you're here on the off chances that somebody comes in and spends 15 bucks, in which case they can tip you on top of their bill bringing your money up to the point where it's worth it for you to stay and work here. Because again, if there wasn't the opportunity there, nobody would take these jobs at the rate that they were paid. Obviously, there is incentive there because when it gets busy, you make the money back. However, there's no guarantee of that. And places that are not in big cities, places that are not, you know, thriving metropolitan meccas will not be able to pay people $20 a fucking hour to sit around and pick their goddamn ass for four hours in between these busy times. So what you're going to happen is you're going to have restaurants that vastly decrease hours of working time. So instead of working, let's say, an eight-hour shift wherein you might be able to make more money getting tips in because you have a greater chance of interacting with people, of a big uh, big group coming in, instead, you're going to work three hours, you're going to work prime hours, you're going to get paid $60, and that's going to be that. Because no one's going to tip you if you're getting paid 20 bucks an hour. And no one's going to staff you to sit around at that rate. It's just fucking idiotic. Itty fucking otic. All right. Next idiot of the week, Josh Hawley, who is tech-tarded. Yes, Josh Hawley, who, where is he out of? He is a senator out of, I'm I'm not going to mess this up, Montana. No, Missouri. (laughs) I know you thought I was going to get it wrong again, but I got it right. The abbreviation Zori is MO. <laughs> Even though it seems like it should be, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I guess MI is taken. Anyway, so this guy wants to put forth a bill or has put forth a bill, which would essentially make it illegal to have things like, hey, watch this next video, or hey, here's another way you can scroll down, or hey, here's a video that's going to play after your current video, in addition to other things. And his rationale is that he says that social media is evil and become too addictive for people. And it's based upon them figuring out what people want to see or figuring out what clicks people's interest and wants them to stay on that website. You know, every goddamn website does this because it's the way they maintain commerce. It's the way you keep clicks. It's the way you maintain advertisers is by keeping people on your website. So this guy wants to say no more. It's called the Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act, or SMART. (laughs) God, what a fucking asshole. So he says that it's going to make exceptions for music playlists, streaming music, music services, and achievement badges that unlock new services or functions. That seems like it'd be more addictive than anything if you're really going to do it. But it just, he wants to mandate that you're no longer allowed to control how you view the internet. You're no longer allowed to scroll down through web pages looking for fun content. You're no longer allowed to be led into, hey, here's some interesting videos you might enjoy. No, no, no. You're not smart enough to be able to handle that guy. You're too addicted to technology to do any of that. So let the goddamn government come in and Baltimore up your interwebs. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. I tied a bow on it. It's a thematic bow. Anyway, this act is atrocious. It needs to be stopped. People taking any sort of regulation approach towards big government, uh, or I'm sorry, big technology and the internet need to be stopped, as well as anything with Section 230, which basically is the platform that says the internet is open and free. You cannot infringe upon it. Some people say that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is actually better then the First Amendment, read a lot of that because it protects your ability to communicate ideas and enshrines the ability to have open communication on these platforms. 
So anybody attacking this and saying that we need to regulate it, oversee it, and remove protections and say that they are publishers rather than platforms can straight fuck off. The free market and competition are what should decide what platforms are succeeding or failing on the internet. Nobody should be getting involved from a governmental standpoint. All this does is get in the way of people being able to voice their opinions, live their lives the way they want to live them, and scroll through porn as fast as they want to. So that guy fucking sucks. All right, that's how we're going to end the show with a bow and a uh, porn scrolling joke. I'm done. I'm fucking tired. Hopefully I sleep tonight. And so I'll be fresh as a daisy for our debate recap recording tomorrow evening. So that's it from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into liberty.